0: Music always meant I wasn't alone. So now that we have a career making music, I hope that we can make somebody feel less alone.
1: Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. What's the point if you're not really feeling Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. We live in a condition of constant murmuring. Like that just doesn't happen for anyone. That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. If you find yourself in the trenches these days, like me, laboring toward making something meaningful... If you're leaning into the writing, to the building, the crafting, the baking, the coloring, the editing, whatever it is, so much of the fuel, I'm going to assume, can be found in the hope of finding or forming some kind of community. The reason that so many of our own favorite artists were willing to face their own resistance was because they trusted that their own obedience would lead to very real connection and the creation of community in and through the art that's being made. The great Irish poet Seamus Haney was a big believer in this, and I love the way he describes his role in it all when he says, that sense of being a part of the whole thing is the deepest joy. I'm pretty sure the same rings true for Abner Ramirez and Amanda Sedano. Together, they're known as the musical husband and wife duo Johnny Swim, Over the last 15 years, they've sold out tour dates on multiple continents. You've probably heard several of their songs on TV shows. They've earned tons of acclaim from NPR to Rolling Stone. They have 500 million streams, if you are into that. And they've even filmed their own show for the Magnolia Network. But the primary point of their music is not about streams or success. To hear them tell their story, it's about connection. In our conversation with both Abner and Amanda, it's clear that music has always created a lifeline for them at very pivotal times, at times where they needed to feel less alone in the world, and their music is doing the same for so many. In an interview we recorded just last year, the members of Johnny Swim sat down to talk to us about their drive to make music and their passion for meaningful connection We also ask them what sorts of music does the same for them. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Abner and Amanda of Johnny Swim. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm overjoyed to be joined today by both Abner Ramirez and Amanda Sudana Ramirez, together known as Johnny Swim. How are the two of you today before we say anything else?
2: Man, we're doing doing great. So uh, good. We're happy campers today. Woke up in a good mood, had a day off yesterday, feeling fresh, ready to go.
1: I caught you at the right time is what you're saying. Yes, that's exactly exactly. right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. By the way, brand new album. I even just had to write about it for a magazine, no depression. um, And, and loved it. I I, like, how are you feeling in, in the sort of days around a new release? Like given that you've done this a few times.
0: First of all, thank you for writing about the album and listening to it. And taking time to say some kind words i saw it on uh, it was actually the first review i saw of the album and i literally somebody sent me a link and i didn't read who, wh- who was by or what where the article was and i just wrote back to the person i was like hopefully this isn't depressing and they said well <laughs> if it works in your favor at all it's for no depression magazine. I was
1: like, okay great okay great <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no depression allowed there right
0: <laughs> no depression whatsoever yeah. uh it feels it feels kind of wild man this album for us most albums we've created while being on the road we We are more than anything a touring entity. Since 2005, back in the early days, we'd be gone 300 days a year without even a a touring manager, uh, agent or anything to get us shows. We would just play at restaurants, play at vineyards, anywhere that would have us before we had kids. And, And so we built our life around touring. And so making an album typically looked like trying songs out live before you even get into the studio. And so for this album, we didn't have that since we were locked down for two years. And this album, man, it was almost a meditative process of me and Amanda alone in a room. We have a, had a little guest room that's now our oldest son's room, our seven-year-old's room, where we made the album. And we would just talk and we would write and we would record with no external forces and no kind of practice of being on stage with the songs first. And so it was a really, I, I don't know if insecure is the word, but it was a really vulnerable place for us releasing this album because it truly felt like it such an honest, almost uncomfortable representation of who we are creatively, artistically, where we're at personally uh, as partners in marriage and in life and in business. It's a, put this album out. That's why it is our first eponymous album. It's our first self-titled release, even though it's our fourth album, because it feels so honest and kind of vulnerable. And so it, it, You know, the question being, how do we feel the the week of the release? We feel uh, still kind of vulnerable, but excited that people seem to be responding well to
1: it. Man, that's great. Well, I I, want to back up just a bit because I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I want to start where we start each of our episodes. And and it begins with our source material from Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. Amanda or Abner, either one or both of you, I'd I'd love to get your thoughts on this quote. So I'm just going to say it and then however you want to respond, wonderful. (laughs) But Pressfield writes this. He says, most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. I guess I'm curious for you, how would you define resistance for you these days? And what's your relationship with it?
2: It's funny you should ask because we have a song on the album that, that (laughs) basically is our thoughts on this. And that song is called, I keep getting older. Actually the song was supposed to be called getting older. And then I saw it on Spotify and it's called, I keep getting older. So there you have that. (laughs) Um, But it, it basically is exactly this quote. And I think because, you know, I we've, it feels like we've lost a couple years in the pandemic. It feels like, You know, I don't know if everybody else feels that way, but sometimes when I tell people how old I am, I'm like, well, adjusting for COVID, I'm like this age, but like my real (laughs) age is this. Um, But I've I've felt that specifically in the past couple of years, I've I've felt the resistance. And to me, what that is, is the dreams that I had growing up, the things that I I felt like were in me to do, whether I knew how to do them or not, whether I knew how I was going to get to a place where I felt comfortable doing them or not. You know, I think when you're, when I was young, I really felt like there was all these things in me and it was just a matter of time before they're, they were all going to come out. And now I'm at an age where I've lived a little bit, I'm getting older and I have to make a choice whether those things are, some of those things are still for me or not. And, um, and the easy thing, I think the thing, the resistance for me is the thing that goes, you know what, you're content, you're happy, you got a good life. You don't need to like worry about those other things that you thought you might do. You don't have to worry about the that unlived part of yourself. Like you can just settle into this person that you are and just ride it out. And uh and that song is basically about kind of going, well, no, I want my dreams to still be wild. I want, you know, I want the person in me that I felt like was in me as a kid. I want that person to be fully realized and not just be comfortable all the time. And so for me, the resistance is o- honestly more than anything, that recognition of that recognition of it. Because I think, you know, so often we can kind of just settle into something and we almost don't even notice it anymore. You don't even notice what you're like letting go of. Or you don't notice what you're not living when you're not living it, unless you kind of go, Hey, I'm not living this part of myself and I want to. And mm-hmm. I think the resistance is almost making that choice to recognize it and to free yourself up to the challenges that come with the unlived life that Mm -hmm. you have in you.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go too. can I go too? yes, please. Uh, I, I love, uh, in the Torah, when God tells Abraham, he's going to have his, his seed is going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Uh, I love that. The first thing he did with the, with the text tells us is that he recognized his age. He was, you know, a hundred or something and he was supposed to have all these kids and he didn't have any yet. And I love that before he was just, you know, I think a lot of times I wrestle with fatalism. I grew up Southern Baptist and there's this, you know, the answer to anything terrible in life or in the church I grew up in as well, it must be God's will. It must just be what God wanted. Hmm. And I've always had a tough time with that because I don't know that that's always true. I don't think we're just pawns that suffer or have great times all because it was just a part of some pre-written existence. I just don't. I don't believe it. Fatalism to me is the uh, the enemy of growth and the enemy of creativity. I think. But I love that he believed anyways. Right. Abraham believed this promise. And I feel like within I can't speak for artists at large, but I know myself and my wife here at Johnny Swim LLC. We (laughs) believe that what we're doing is a part of a greater purpose. We believe that what we're doing is is what we're born to do that we're not just trying to we are not just trying to entertain people. We hope that we're adding value to their lives as they listen to songs, as they come to shows, as we invite them into this corporate truly experience that is Johnny Swim. We hope it affects them in a way. We hope for the better, you know. So for me, the resistance, the great the great thief of creativity is comfort, is ease. And that lie that says ease is the goal. We find ourselves, even today, we were working on the set list, changing the set list. We're halfway through tour and we're still changing the set list. We're probably, we, all, we will through the end of the tour. We're changing the set list, making some more dramatic moments, taking some chances where places could go wrong. Because the way I've found that I feel more, I feel myself facing the resistance and battling it is looking for opportunities for risk. I find myself in life and in the set, in the album, in live performances, I feel most awake. I feel most in my lane. I feel most alive when I'm looking for opportunities for risk, whether that's getting my pilot's license over COVID or adding a big dramatic musical break in the middle of a song that we've only played three times, but we're going to give it a go tonight in Raleigh, North Carolina. Finding and embracing opportunities for risk is how I find myself wrestling and battling the resistance.
1: Hmm. I, I want to chase a couple avenues here that, that you've opened up, but but the primary one here being like as I'm listening and and even thinking about my own life, I, I remember like when I was nearing forty, there began to be sort of this idea of not like a depressing way, but in a but in a way where I was like, oh. When I was in my twenties, I thought I would do all these things. Now Mm -hmm. that I'm almost double that, I'm realizing I may not get to everything. And it was clarifying in like a a healthy way. So you're talking about um like leaving sort of these wild edges open and not settling in. Yet there's also like a health to recognizing limits and um, and maybe learning how, like, like, how do you discern there, the risks to take and yet also going, but I also want to live a, a, a balanced life and not like just always like, um, always want the things I don't have.
2: Right. Well, I think that's, that's the interesting thing. Cause I, I, one thing that we're very, um, adamant about is contentment and, uh, and like a healthy contentment. And so I, I, I feel like there's people that their desires cripple them because they want so much that they're never happy with what they have. And I, I, I don't feel that way at all. That's something I strive against. Like when we were broke and we didn't have a career and we were just writing songs in our empty apartment because we couldn't, you know, afford anything. Um, we were, we were like challenged with that. Like what else? Like, are we happy? Yes. Or do we love our friendships, our relationships? Yes. Yes. Like we have what other, we have, you don't have to have everything to have everything is, Ooh, you know, I like that. Is uh, something I say to myself. Um, so I don't think it's that, but I do think it's like, it's leaving yourself open to the things that are still in you. So yeah, you might not, you know, I thought I was going to be a Broadway star when I was seven. And at this point, do I have a desire to be a Broadway star? I mean, like I would do it. I would be on a Broadway show, but is that going to be like my life's mission No, but I am going to keep myself open to the things that are still in me to do and the things that still scare me to do. Because I might not be exactly all the things that I, you know, set out to be as a, as a seven-year-old, but I do think that there's, you know, the choice at some point to kind of go, well, you know, I'm good and I guess I don't need all the other stuff or go, I mean, I'm good, but let me keep my eyes open because life is still to be lived. Hmm.
1: You referenced that new song, Getting Older. Was that hard to write?
2: Uh, no, because I think I was feeling it so much. I think that, you know, Abner learned to fly planes over COVID. We were like, we were kind of sitting there going, okay, what are things that have we always wanted to do that now we might have the time to do? Um, but yeah, but I think, you know, like looking at 40 in, in the future and I'm sitting there going, oh, there's like, I could see, I could see myself just being cozy and being like, well, I've done pretty good. Like I've done most of like a lot of stuff. I didn't think I'd ever get to do and that I hoped I would get to do. And so like, let's just ride it out. And, uh, and we felt very strongly, you know, in the time of like, no, let's like, let, if anything, let's add some more dreams to the mix. Like let's still be wild. Let's not, you know, let's not in. so I don't think it was, it wasn't hard for us to write at all. I think it kind of just poured right out.
1: Hmm. So what remains elusive for you now?
2: You know, I think um, I think there's like certain things that still scare me. And those are the things that I kind of look look towards as like guiding lights a little bit of what are things that I want that still scare me. And every so often we still get, you know, somebody saying, hey, can you audition for this role? They need somebody that can sing or they're they're casting a musician or something. And Abner is like, heck yeah, sign me up. And I'm always like, Oh God, I'm so nervous. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and that is the thing that kind of goes, Oh, I'm super nervous about it, but it seems exciting. And so I want to keep at least trying it. I, I, but in general, it's usually those things, the things that I, my instinct is, and this is so different for Abner because he's like, he is a consummate dreamer. Like, hmm nothing seems too hard for him. Like if he wants to do something, he will figure out a way to make it happen. And I'm like the opposite. Like I, even if I want something, I will talk myself out of it. You know what I mean? Mm. And so I tend to look for the things in me that kind of go, Ooh, that seems scary. I don't know that I'd want to do that. And then I go, it, it, do you really not want to do it? Or are you just scared of Ooh. it? Cause those are two different things, Amanda.
1: Abner, what about you? Like, like what's elusive for you and, and how does the, 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 the relationship that you share and then sharing a career help you deal with some of these things?
0: Huh. I think first of all, there's there's clearly when I talk about pursuing dreams or dreams or, you know, wanting to find risky things that are full of finding opportunities for risk. I think in my near 40 years of life now, one perspective that's changed for me is there isn't the goal of life isn't just to climb the mountain anymore. Before it was like, you know, I want an EGOT, man, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. I want, you know, all the accolades, the album sales, the whatever. I don't know, like a young man's type of dreaming. And now that's, I'm a father of three. I'm a husband. You know, we run a business together. For me, the goal now is contentment, is in every phase of life, true and genuine contentment, happiness that flourishes. I see contentment not as just being happy but it's like a a joy that brings growth. Uh, You know, it's like soil almost. It's our being rooted in contentment. Not that I have to achieve something in order to be happy. Not that I have to achieve a thing for my life to be completed or even accomplish the mission of my life. I don't, I see that even mindset as an enemy in, in the first place. But I do, I do feel restless without, without risk, without the, uh, without some kind of element of surprise, I feel like I have to have it. I have to, it keeps me alive. It keeps me young, It keeps me dreaming. It keeps me feeling like the young Abner would see me now and be proud of him. Uh, I remember my father, I got accepted to FSU. I'm from Florida. I went to an art school in Florida, was a part of the Jacksonville Youth Symphony. And so I got a bunch of scholarship money to go to the state schools there. And so I chose FSU, Florida State University is where I was gonna go. And I remember dad drove me from Jacksonville to, to Tallahassee. And it was orientation day. My first orientation was with the orchestra, the Florida State University orchestra. So I was walking into this building where all the freshmen, incoming freshmen, were gonna to listen to the symphony perform and then we were gonna join them for a piece and we'd all rehearse this piece before we got there, whatever. And dad dropped me off at the front. He was gonna go park the car, packed parking lot. I walk in and I remember just this feeling of not being able to breathe. Like, just, it was like I was in the wrong room. This was the wrong, it felt like I was at the end. Of, uh, like I was, you know, walking the plank or something, and this was about to be the, the beginning of the end if I was here. And we're gonna, it felt like in a moment I could see my future. Not that not to say anything about anybody else, but for me, it was the wrong move. That was the wrong move. It was too safe, it was too right. I walked out before my dad even walked in the door. I met dad in the parking lot and said, Hey, it was the wrong day. Just fully lying to him. <laughs> wrong day, nobody's in there. <laughs> and dad looked around and he saw the cars parked. He saw people walking in. He's like, Okay, okay, get in the car, let's go home. So he drives me all the way back to Jacksonville and we're quiet for the first like 30 minutes of the drive. And he turns to me and says, son, what's wrong? What happened? What's going on? It's like, dad, I can't do it. I'm not going to FSU. He's like, well, where do you need to be? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? He said, because if there's anything, you know, and this is a man who came to this country with his two daughters, his wife, not a nickel in his pocket, not a change of clothes, came from Cuba in 1980 and then had a son. Once he got here in 83, he said, son, we didn't take the risk. Of coming to this country for you to settle. We came here so you could choose the life you wanted and work hard to have the life you dream of. He said, so where do you need to be if that's the goal? If the goal is to be a songwriter or whatever? I said, well, New York, LA, or Nashville. He said, all right, Nashville's close. We can get you into school in Nashville, good Nashville. Anyway, so I went to Nashville and that was the beginning of the rest of my life. That moment, that, that moment of risk of not taking the safe answer. So I feel like that's I'm talking way too much and hopefully I'm not boring everyone, but that's become kind of the, that's become maybe the mantra. I don't know the right word here, but that's been the, the, the example for the rest of my professional life and my adult life is we didn't come here to settle. And that, again, that doesn't mean like I have to get trophies or I have to climb some mountain to prove my value or my worth. What it means is I'm not going to settle. Comfort alone is my enemy. Comfort and contentment are not the same thing. Complacency and contentment are not the same thing. If that makes sense, and I stop talking
1: now. <laughs> First, you're totally fine. Second, I love that. I, I think that I think that means a lot for people to even have a story like that. And, and what a powerful moment in your own life, um,
0: big time, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be defining. So I could see how why that's a hallmark for you to go back to, or or like a great moment to remember and say, oh wait, wait, that like that's that's magnetic north for me.
0: That's exactly right. And here's a quick, just a quick thought that I've, I think has been marinating in my brain for a minute. And it's just kind of bubbling out right now yeah. is as I'm raising my children, my, my instinct is I want to raise immigrant children. They were born in Southern California. Their parents were born in America. Not like me. My parents were born in Cuba, had to struggle to be here, almost died on the way. But when you talk to first generation immigrants, like if you were to talk to my dad, who was a truck driver making barely any money, and you would ask him what the potential is for his children, he would say absolutely anything, hmm. anything. There's nothing that limits them. There's nothing that limits them. There's this mentality of first-generation immigrants. You come to America because it's the land of promise. It's good soil where you can plant your seeds and you can grow to be whatever you want to be. And then I, I, I'm, I get nervous that my kids, because this is what you get preached a lot here, what, what gets preached to you a lot in America. Once you're here, right? Like find your lane, go to school, study a thing, do something that exists, Right. So as a kid in, Flo- in Jacksonville, Florida, that wants to be a songwriter, there was like no support for that dream whatsoever because it didn't fit any pre-existing lanes that people knew. Right. But as an immigrant, that doesn't matter. You know, it's it's absolutely you're indoctrinated that you're here. You're in America, America, because anything is possible. And so I really hope that that I hope that my children, that some of that that immigrant dogma is uh, instilled in them as well sure
1: sure I, I i want i want to switch to the to the songwriting because earlier you were talking about look we're not just here to entertain like we're here to impact like that there's that there's there's something more that we, like you said that we want to be a meaningful addition to people's lives in a way and i i guess i wonder first of all like what informs that but then i also well i, I guess i'll just start there like 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 can one of you tell me what like like why, why that in the first place?
2: Why we aim for that?
1: Yeah. What's wrong with entertainment? not that anything's wrong with entertainment. Oh, not that weird. you said that, but why, like why something more?
2: Honestly? Well, I, I think there's, I have two answers for that. One is that that's what music has done for us. Right. So that's, you know, we met and fell in love talking about music, you know, loving music together, sharing music with one another. And and the impact that music had on us, playing music, writing music, and enjoying music had on us and the way that we processed life and like how we were able to express ourselves and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's what we hope the, the same way that a song can mean something for us that we carry with us, and that still comes to mind during certain seasons of life, you know, that same sort of that same thing we hope that we get to do to other people, because that's that's been pinnacle for us. And then I also think for me. And I am, I am, again, I'm not the, of the two of us, I'm not the like confident go-getter of the two. But, um, as a young kid, I was always super insecure, especially when it came to music, because my mom was a singer, everybody in my family wrote songs. I was the shy one who couldn't sing as high or as well as the other, my sisters and but I loved it. You know, I loved music and my dad and I, my dad would like bring home CDs all the time. CDs, remember those? (laughs) He'd bring me home CDs and he'd take me to shows and I just, I ate it up, you know? Um, But I, I never also, I, I could recognize, okay, you're not the best singer in the world, Amanda, but that doesn't mean anything because look at some of the people whose music that you love. Like there was people who I loved and I don't want to name names because, you know, that seems wrong, but there was people that I loved their music who are like, they're not a great singer, but they're telling a story and I'm connecting with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what matters. And that's what music is for. It's not, there's a billion amazing singers in the world who don't touch hearts the same way. And so what you have to offer is not the same thing as everybody else. What you have to offer is you and your perspective and your voice, whatever that, whatever that is. And so that kind of became, you know, the thing that I held on to even as a kid who felt like, okay, well, I'm not as good as my mom and I'm not as good as all these other people. So I think maybe a little bit came out of insecurity, started from insecurity, but what landed at a healthy spot, I think, of, <laughs> of realizing how much music mattered to me on, you know, in different genres, in different ways and how much it touched me. And so I think for both of us, like that's always that's always going to be the goal. You know, like I think a billion people could write cool songs, you know, a billion people could write great songs, but like, we really hope that, you know, that we can carry some people through a narrow place in their life, you know, or, or give words to something where, you know, we had a friend when, when my mom died and his dad died, we had a friend who had just lost her own father and she said to us, suffer, they were worth it. And we needed that because so many people had said, you know, like oh, it's going to be okay, and I just can't imagine how you feel. But like, you know, they're in a better place. You know, they give you all those kind oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah. platitudes. And we had somebody that said, "No, suffer. They were worth it. You had something so beautiful. Let yourself, let yourself feel that. You know." And gave us permission, and then we were able to, you know, we turned that into a song at some point. And so now we have people that come to us and say the same thing, like, "Oh, that gave me permission to mourn," and like, "In and, and I didn't feel the permission to do that until I could hear the song." And so that's what's you know. That's what we hope that we can do, like somehow put into words something that or a feeling that somebody else can kind of take and say, oh, that gave me permission. You know, That's great.
0: Mm. And if I could add to that, I remember being a kid. Uh, I was a weird kid. I'm a weird grown up, but I was a I was a really I was a weird kid. <laughs> and I really I didn't have friends. There was a long season in my life. I remember, you know, literally crying to my mom. Uh, I don't have any friends. And and I remember sitting alone in my room and my sisters had their favorite bands and kids in school had their favorite bands. And I didn't. And I remember really going on a mission to discover what my favorite band is. And so I grabbed all my sister's CDs uh, and I listened to a bunch of music and it was a conscious thing. I sat down with a disc man on a couch and was listening to all these songs, all these albums and nothing really connected. And I was looking for connection. I didn't know, I didn't have words for it, but I was hungry for connection. I was looking for it in music and what I didn't have in friendships. And uh, and then I came across Under the Table and Dreaming, Dave Matthews Band, and I was riveted. I felt like that music was made for me. I felt like I found the soundtrack to my days. Um, that moment made me feel less alone. I was a lonely kid that was super weird, and I felt seen. And I felt like I had a friend somehow in this Dave Matthews Band album. And it's not lost on me that I hope that I can do that. We can create that for somebody else as well. Music has always met community for me, um, whether it's playing in the orchestra. Playing a solo on violin is cool, but it was always cooler. You could play a million notes. You could play some complicated solo on violin, and it never had the impact on me that playing like a Grieg piece. And Grieg is this, this German uh, composer, was this German composer who was just very patient music where I would be playing on the violin one note for 90 seconds or like 30 <laughs> minutes even. And that one note with an orchestra always had more impact than a fancy piece on my own.
2: Mm.
0: And so for me, one of my great connections to music, one of my, the, the lifelines to music is that it always, almost always, I guess, equaled community. Music always meant I wasn't alone. Mm. So now that we have a career making music, I hope. That we can make somebody feel less alone. It's not just, not just singing it, folks. I'm never going to be Harry Styles. I'm coming to grips with that.
2: It's very sad <laughs> for us both. You know, we're both very sad that we're we'll never, never going to be, be Harry Beyonce. Size. We never.
0: If we're going to bring, if we're going to offer something, man, I'm almost forty. I'm, I don't see it as just trying to get people to sing along to songs. There's got to be something that matters in this, and I know what I felt in music mattered and was helpful. And if we could do anything, it's not winning trophies. It's I want to be able to help somebody feel like they're seen and that they matter and that they're not alone.
1: One more for you. Then let me ask you this. What was the last piece of music that did for you what you hope to do for others?
2: Not to bring it back to Harry Styles, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I would say though, I do really love as it was.
0: You know, it's not the same as it was. So good.
2: Um, that's very good. I'm trying to think of... I know for sure mine. Go for mine it. was well,
0: when Beyonce came out with the Lion King soundtrack. And she did the whole like, <laughs> Lion King thing.
2: Our band is singing it
0: out in the hallway now. <laughs> but the Beyonce Lion King album, man, like it felt so driven. It felt so beautiful. Like it felt so brown. It felt so real. Like the Lion King being music, uh, a, a movie about... Africa and the African Plains and having somebody who so embraced their blackness and their culture, it was so powerful. I watched the whole frigging thing on Disney plus and was so moved and it made me search for, okay, how do I do that? How do I do that about Cuba or about where we're from? How how do I, I mean, it really, it was, it kind of messed me up a little bit and it's, we're talking about the Lion King, but we're also talking about Beyonce.
1: (laughs) You've been listening to the resistance. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. And for more information or further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Audio production by Isaac Viney. Theme music by Jake Kirkpatrick. Patrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening.